0: Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have Grammy-winning hip-hop, R&B, soul music legend, Jermaine Dupri. Coming up, I'll talk to JD about how Atlanta shaped his career, what songs he considers his greatest collaborations, and what it's like to look back on his incredible 30-year music career. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. A show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Buckle up, this week's theme is endless possibilities. It's the beginning of a brand new year, and every day now is an opportunity To start so fresh. I know. New year. New me. Has become cliche. Matter of fact. Been overused. But the idea behind it. Really does have value. And I get it. This time of year. So full of energy. Everybody talks about their resolutions. And their goals. Let me tell you a couple that I have. Sleep more. Train more. Eat better. Drink less. Those are just basic things that I could try to do each day. So many times we make our long-term goals, but we don't concentrate on our short-term steps. I want to be the best at what I do in every facet. As a parent. As a son. As an uncle. As a brother. As a multimedia personality. On ABC NBA Countdown. On Amazon. When I'm working with Amp and doing my radio show each Saturday. And as the Renaissance man on this program, new guests, new excitement, new information. I love this time of year. And I love to challenge myself to do things, not just talk about them. So take advantage of this fresh start. Be motivated to do something that you've never done before. How about eliminate some screen time? Give yourself the actual chance to be great because in a new year, the possibilities of where you can end up are endless. And my next guest is a master of finding and seizing each opportunity that comes his way. Coming up, I talk to music legend, Jermaine Dupri about hip hop turning 50 years old in 2023, how he feels about the sad and recent violence in the rap community and his upcoming versus battle with none other than bad boy mogul himself, Sean Diddy Combs. Up next, Jermaine Dupree. My next guest is musical royalty, a hip hop legend, entrepreneur, who's one of the most successful producers in the history of music, and also a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I ain't gonna name everybody he's collaborated with over 30 years, because it's too many, and that'll take the whole 30 minutes for this interview. But I'll just say, this icon has worked with Usher, Mariah, Janet, Jay-Z, Chris Cross, Jagged Edge, Monica, Nas, you get the point, just to name a few. It is my honor to welcome JD, Jermaine Dupree, to Yo. the Renaissance man. What up, family? What
1: up, what up? How you doing?
0: Good, good. So I remember you coining ATL, the Motown of the South. Yeah. And as I now see how basically Atlanta sound has become the sound of rap music and or all music. Please give the world a snapshot of what it was like growing up in Atlanta and how the city shaped you.
1: Oh, man. Um, well, you know, growing up in Atlanta was interesting because it wasn't really much going on here. Went a lot of people into the music business. Um, it was, it was a music scene, though. It was a music scene. We had the SOS band. We had Peebo Bryson. We had Brick. We had mm. a lot of Black artists, you know, Black R&B artists here in this city that was making music. Um, but it was a... It was a oh, we, all, we also had Cameo. So it was, a, it was a niche of people that was here that was doing their thing. and um, but, but it wasn't really like... It didn't seem like the city was going to cater to it. It just seemed like they was here doing it in, in the city. But it never seemed like the city was gonna to cater to it. Um, so it was, it was for me, it was like once I got into hip hop and once I started loving it and wanted, and started chasing it, it was almost like I was from like a different world. And I just was like living in this different world and I had to get into the mix and try to go to New York and I had to be, I had to be close to it to to just, you know, to like satisfy my needs that I felt that I had. Um, but yeah, it was definitely it was definitely different uh, being here in the beginning.
0: There are certain people for me that make music and there are other people that are music and we're around the same age. And you've been in this game for 30 years and I appreciate your versatility. You just named certain artists that influenced you that were rap, that were R&B, that were disco so just talk about your versatility as when you talked about going to New York I remember you being a young lad when Houdini was on tour coming out on stage with the elites bouncing we all Houdini you was a mm-hmm. youngster out there breakdancing and you was making sure that you made your way in hip hop Yeah I mean you
1: know it was it was it was tough I mean you know as far as me having um this this I feel like me having a different pattern or palette than everybody is because I was, you know, I was raised in the era of R&B here in Atlanta, like I said, with the with, with Cameo being one of the biggest R&B groups, SOS being, and and my my father used to work for these groups, mm-hmm. so I I, used, I get a, I got an opportunity to go to their rehearsals, I got an opportunity to go to their shows when I was probably like eight, nine, or ten, eleven years old, mm-hmm. and then. I got this opportunity to go on the Fresh Fest tour with Houdini when I was 12. Mm. And not knowing what that was and not even knowing, just thinking I was going to open up for a show that was coming to Atlanta, I never knew what I was walking into. And, you know, eventually I just walked myself into hip hop. I walked myself into the world of hip hop, um, this world that I never even really imagined that I would be living in. But I, you know, I got an opportunity to live in this world from 84, 85 and 86 and being on tour with Houdini, run DMC, the fat Mm. boys, Curtis blow and all these people. So, uh, and, and I was only 12. So, um, that was, that was pretty amazing.
0: You're so much of a game changer in the industry because you're well-rounded. And you're a young, seasoned vet. And we know what L.A. Reed and Babyface meant to Atlanta when they moved there. But you was already there. And at 18 years of age, you became a producer with a number one record. Yeah. Tell me what it was like during the early days of your career as a producer and as what I call a kingmaker in a lot of ways.
1: Uh, well, I mean, you know, the beginning of my career as a producer and songwriter was tough because I was so young. Um, I wasn't really accepted. And mm. I think that's why people don't, you know, people give L.A. and Babyface the credit that they give them for, like, jumpstarting Atlanta and putting Atlanta in the, in the place because they don't, they don't, they kind of overlook the fact that I was already doing it because I was so young. And, and mm. people weren't, people weren't, you know. They weren't giving. Then this was before young, you know. This was before even the industry was talking about younger, you know, younger artists. It wasn't even cool to even talk about young artists or to have young artists in hip hop. Yeah. So at this point in time, if you was young in hip hop, they they didn't they treated you like you weren't even supposed to be around. Mm. You know what I mean? So so all of this. You know, unk and OG and all of this stuff. That type <laughs> of talk wasn't even didn't even exist because it wasn't nobody young to call nobody no OG. And mm-hmm. the OGs was the only people that ran the game back then. Mm-hmm. So for me being in the game and that early, and then coming up with Crisscross, um, they still was treating me like I was an alien. They was treating me like I you know like you know you here, but you ain't really supposed to be here.
0: And what was it like for you understanding not only do I got to earn my respect, but take my respect. And I want to also reiterate something. I said that you just piggybacked on. You was already there doing it. I've been telling people this forever. So I'm glad you're on the show so I can acknowledge this. So you ain't just an artist, a rapper, a DJ, but you also a songwriter, a producer, and a curator of talent. You've taken seeds like Crisscross and The Brat and have, and have brought them to mainstream America. So talk to me about that process of identifying talent, but then turning that talent and so-so deaf music into such an iconic label.
1: Um, I mean, you know, just I, I, like I said, I, you know, I got my thirst when I was 12, 13 on this tour. So I, I, I like I said, I learned from the best and they put this, they put this want in my body where I wanted to be, I just wanted to be part of hip hop. I wanted to be, I wanted to be known. I wanted to make my mark. And once I started producing and that that became my love, um, it, it became very competitive, but it also became something where I knew that um, it was going to be even tougher for me because I wasn't from New York. Mm-hmm. I'm from Atlanta, right? And at the time when I was coming, Atlanta was not cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, People from up north used to give people from Atlanta hell, mm-hmm. country, uh, you know, y'all don't know nothing about rap music, blah, 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 everything. I heard it all. Right. Mm-hmm. And when Crisscross Cross came out, um, I changed I changed that scope. I changed the look. I changed the idea of people coming to Atlanta. I changed. I started people thinking, oh, wait, Atlanta, Atlanta, wait, he's they from Atlanta, they, you know, and Crisscross Cross was so big. That you had to pay attention to where they was from. You had to get into the crisscross story. And at that point, that's when I started realizing that I should have my own label and I should, you know, start curate, curating my own artists. Um, crisscross weren't on so, so Deaf because I didn't have a label at the time. Um, mm. they were signed to they were signed to Roughhouse Columbia. I got them that deal, but I I still didn't have my own label. Once mm. I got through the crisscross situation, I realized. I'm telling these kids exactly what to do. I wrote their music. I did this. I'm actually telling the label what to do. I should have my own label. So uh, I started working on trying to get my own label. And, um, you know, the first group I signed was Escape. um, And Escape, you know, people looked at me like I was crazy because I had an R&B group that I wanted to put out first as opposed to a rap group based on what they saw with Crisscross. And I knew at that point I wanted to make sure people knew that I was more versatile, versatile than just rap. Um, I, I and I loved R&B, so I and I wanted my label to speak to both. And I also wanted to speak to both as a rap, as a as a producer. Um, Quincy Jones being my my favorite producer, Teddy Riley being my favorite producer, and these guys I look up to. So I wanted my I was trying to build and create a person that was like. Hip hop at the same time, as well as these two iconic producers that I looked up to, and um, um, that was it. And 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 I and I and at that point in time, I knew how important it was to try to put your city on. Mm. Um, so I started trying to, you know, point every arrow that I could to Atlanta. And this was before the face, by the way,
0: way before, and. Yeah. You know Detroit and Atlanta got a kinship, and you just said a name, Quincy Jones, also Motown Records. And I've watched you embody so many things and follow in his footsteps of the guy who laid the blueprint. But I want to acknowledge something. So many guys that oversaw labels, whether it was Death Row, Bad Boy, Rockefeller, Rap-A-Lot, all of those great entrepreneurs we're different than you in a way because you are also and still are a musical genius. So talk about the balance of being a mogul, an entrepreneur, running a label, but also curating talent, writing their songs, being on tour. What was it like for you kind of being in the kitchen as the master chef?
1: I mean, being in the kitchen doing that and paying attention to everything—I was thinking about this morning. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's—you know—it's tough, man. It's not, it's not, it's definitely not easy, um, because you know, um, as the boss of the label, you, 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 you got a whole staff of people that's waiting for you to introduce them to their next project. But at the same time, you have to introduce yourself to your next project. Um you have to you have to introduce yourself to the project and then take that project to your label. Um and you know it's a it's it's a it's a it's a crazy job because you got to stay on top of what you're doing. Um but you also, you know, it's people like I said, Barry Gordy, Barry Gordy being the best that ever did just that, um, creating labels, finding artists and putting them out and dressing them and figuring out how to do it, you know studying is really, really important. A lot of people take, a lot of people don't work in this business because they don't pay attention to a lot of people that came before them. It's really mm. important that you study. I mean, it's the same as any other game, but yep. studying is very, very important. And, and I, you know, like, like I say all the time, Barry Gordy, Barry Gordy is the best that ever did it in that field as far as writing the songs, putting the artists out, creating a company called Motown, and making mm-hmm. the world know what it was i I used every bit of what I saw him doing and tried to put that energy into atlanta and and so so death.